Okay, we began last week a preaching series entitled Divine Encounters. What can happen in a moment with God? And what we're doing is over these few weeks is we're looking at different individuals in Scripture who had their lives transformed by encounters with God. So last week we began the series by looking at Moses and his encounter with God at the burning bush. And really the the whole premise to this series is you can never be the same again when you have a divine encounter. And as Christians, we have a personal relationship with God. So if we have a personal relationship with God, we are to expect personal encounters with God. Christianity is primarily a relationship, relationship with God. It's not a set of rules. It's not a religion. So then we are to welcome, we are to expect, we are to seek out encounters with God in our lives. And just to remind you, as Christians, as believers, through the blood of Jesus, you can enter the Holy of Holies. You can meet with God face to face. You can know intimacy with your heavenly Father. Now, I do think that we have a tendency in the West, in kind of Europe, in America, in the West as it's known, to know a lot about Jesus, to know a lot. To have a lot of theology, a lot of information, a lot of books, a lot of content. But sometimes we are lacking in encounters, personal encounters with the living God. And like I said last week, let me tell you, look, I'm going on a journey with you in this. Have I had encounters with God? Yes. But there is so much more. There's so much more that I desire to have. And as an individual, and and I I would hope for you as an individual, and for us as a church, we want to be pursuing God in intimacy with him. We want to be pursuing God for more of his presence, for more encounters with him that will transform and change our lives. So today, we're going to be looking at Gideon. We're going to look at the story of Gideon and how he had a God encounter at the wine press. It's Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 27. So it will come up on the screen. You can follow there or you can look in your Bible or on your phone. But it's Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 11 through to verse 27. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah, the one that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with me or with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? 
Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside. He prepared a young goat, and from an effort of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in the basket and his broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak tree. The angel, of, the angel said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he explained, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in opera of the Abazarites. That same night, the Lord said to him, to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Okay, I want to pick out some things here about divine encounters. Now, we're not going to have time to unpack the whole passage, but I want to particularly look at some things about this divine encounter that Gideon had with the angel of the Lord in a wine press. The first one is this, that divine encounters can happen at any time, even the darkest of times. You've got to understand the context of the story here. The context of the story of Gideon is that it is a desperate and a perilous condition for God's people. That's the time. That's what's going on in the land. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, you will know that there is a cycle that goes on again and again and again in the book of Judges. It's summed up in Judges 21 verse 25. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. In other words, in the time of Judges, there was general rebellion in the nation. In fact, eight times in Judges, it tells us that the people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what you have in this cycle that goes on in Judges is there's the downward spiral of the people of Israel doing evil. That there's a moral and a spiritual decline. Then God's people are disciplined. You see, God allows enemies to, to, to overrun them and defeat God's people. And then because God's people find themselves downtrodden and oppressed, they cry out to God and God sends a deliverer, a judge to rescue them. 
And that cycle happens again and again and again in the book of Judges. It's summarized here by Judges 2, verses 16 to 19. Let's just read it. This summarizes the whole book of Judges. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved God's people out of the hand of the raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judge, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was their judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other corrupt, following other corrupt gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. They descended into sin. They were disciplined. They were defeated. And then God raised up a judge to rescue them. That happens again and again, 13 times in the book of Judges. God empowers an individual to help God's people in their struggle and in their time of need. And in Judges chapter 6, what the story we're looking at, the story of Gideon, is all really rather pathetic. Verse 6, we're told that the hand of Midian is prevailing against Israel. And the picture we get in these verses is that the Israelites are hiding away in caves. They're hiding away in dens. They're hiding away in strongholds in the mountain because they're afraid of the Midianites. God's people, who are meant to be strong and fearless and the land is theirs, are hiding away from the Midianites. Verse 4 of chapter 6 says that like locusts, the Midianites have descended on the livestock, the crops, and the agriculture of the Israelites. They are destroying everything before them. So this is a dark time. This is a dark time in the time of the Israelites. This is a dark time. Their culture is affected in every way. It is infected. They are hiding. They are struggling. They are defeated. It is a dark, dark time. But it is in this dark time that there is a divine encounter that, God, that Gideon has. It is in this dark time that Gideon has the encounter. So let me help you here. 2024 can feel like a dark time. We look on our news, we look on our TVs, there's very real wars going on in different parts of the world as we speak. There's a knife epidemic happening in our inner cities amongst our young people. There's an erosion of family values. There's an erosion of the biblical meaning of marriage. There's the cost of living crisis. There's loneliness. There's all kinds of mental health struggles. There's a darkness that seems to be weighing heavy over our land. But let me tell you, in the dark times, in the darkest of times, be ready for divine encounters. Be ready for God to meet with you. That's the first thing I want to pick up. The second thing about divine encounters is that they can happen in the ordinary and in the everyday of life. So verse 11, where we started, it says, the angel of the Lord came to Gideon uh, when he sat under, sorry, the angel of the Lord came to Gideon when he sat under the tree 
at the wine press. It's all very ordinary, isn't it? It's all very matter of fact. Oh, there was an angel sat under the tree at the wine press. It's not really how we expect angels to appear, is it? We expect angels to appear in a puff of Shekinah glory. We, we expect angels to appear with the smoke and the, the lights and the flaming swords. And I think one of the greatest hindrances for many of us when it comes to encountering God is that, that we expect it to be in the spectacular or the sensational. When so often, the supernatural is actually very natural. The, the angel of the Lord appears sitting under a tree. Now, again, you've got to think it through when you read the Bible. You've got to try and picture it. What's going on here? Because there would have been other people around. There would have been family. There would have been co-workers. I wonder, did they notice this angel? Did, did they notice someone but not realize that it was an angel? Was he actually just quite ordinary? And we know from the conversation that initially Gideon didn't realize that it was an angel. You see, again, it's important that, that often, you see, the, the extraordinary is actually very ordinary. We see that again and again in Scripture. Jacob, in the book of Genesis, he wrestles with a man. He afterwards finds out that he wrestled with an angel of the Lord, but he doesn't realize it at the time. Moses, in the story we looked at last week, Moses was walking along and he saw a burning bush. That wasn't that unusual to see a burning bush. But he sees the burning bush and then he's drawn in and he encounters God. It's Moses' curiosity, as we looked at last week, that, that draws him to his encounter. Again, let me tell you, the extraordinary may often look very ordinary. Look at Jesus. What does it say of Jesus in Isaiah 53? It's what it says, prophesying about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of a dry ground. This is talking about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There was nothing in the physical outward appearance of Jesus that was to attract us to him. Now, can you tell me anything or anyone who is more supernatural than Jesus, the Son of God? And yet it was hidden to a huge degree in a very ordinary looking man. There was nothing in a crowd of people that made Jesus stand out from all the other people in the crowd. You had to see beyond the natural. You had to be inquisitive. You had to be full of intrigue. You had to pursue. Let me show you a verse that has really spoken to me this week. Proverbs 25 and verse 2. Just look at this. That's what it says. I'll put it up on the screen. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Now, this isn't talking about the gospel. This isn't talking about the fact that Jesus loves you, that Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of you. But it is talking about the deep things of God. God conceals things. 
our job, if we want to be like kings, if we want to be all that God has for each and every one of us, that it is our job to search out the glory that is hidden. Why do you think Jesus taught in parables? Now, one of the answers that people often give, which is true, is that Jesus taught in parables because it was everyday language and everyday pictures. That is true. But Jesus said himself that he spoke in parables because there was a truth and there were depths of the supernatural kingdom of God that were hidden to those who don't believe. That were hidden to those who did not delve deeper and go after them. You see, people with hearts for God will will probe, they will pursue, they will dig, they will delve deeper. We are to train ourselves, church, to, to kind of look for God's intervention in the darkest of times and know that God is at work in the seemingly ordinary. God is at work in the seemingly ordering. So I want to ask you, are you missing things? In the everyday, when you're washing up, when you're walking down the street, when you are on the tube even, when you are doing whatever it is that you do for your work, whatever it is, are your eyes open? Are you expectant? Are you inquisitive? Because divine encounters happen in the everyday. They happen in the seemingly ordinary. That's the second thing I want to point out from this encounter that that Gideon has at the wine press. The third thing is that it can happen to the most unlikely of us. You see, the angel wanders into the wine press and there he is under the tree and he starts talking to Gideon. And Gideon, as I said, had no idea who this was. In verse 13, he calls him sir. He doesn't know this is an angel. But he calls this man sitting beside him under the tree at the wine press. He calls him, sir. Never met him before. He just wandered into my place of work. How are you doing, sir? And then verse 12, we, we, we know that this is what he says. This is what the angel says of Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. That's what the angel says. That's what his opening line. The Lord is with you, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon would have been thinking, who are you? What do you know about me? I'm the least in my clan, not me. What are you talking about? And and verse 13, this is what Gideon goes on to say. He says, please, sir, there is. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I want to pick out here two reasons why Gideon is so unlikely. And yet God meets with the most unlikely of people. The two reasons are very simple. They're not hidden. He was paralyzed by fear. Gideon was paralyzed by fear. First of all, you've got to kind of remember, what was he doing? He was threshing wheat in a wine press. You don't do that. You thresh wheat out in the open. But why wasn't he threshing the wheat in the open? Because he was scared of the Midianites. So he was hiding. His very activity was showing us that he was afraid. 
but he was just being like the rest of the culture. He was just being like the rest of the Israelites because they were hiding in caves and hiding in holes and hiding in strongholds. So Gideon was no different. He was scared. He was afraid. He was full of fear. But this God encounter changed Gideon, as we will see, and it set him apart. It changed his life, this God encounter, to make him the fearless warrior that we often know of when we think of Gideon. So he was paralyzed with fear. The other thing about Gideon, why Gideon was so unlikely, was he was racked with doubt. And you often find that fear and doubt go together. Now, again, don't hear me wrong here. It's good to ask questions of God. It's good to challenge God. It's good to ask questions of his word. But, but, but Gideon's tone in verse 13 is basically, why has this happened? What about what God did in the past? Why isn't God doing that now? He's asking from a place of fear. And fear is the fruit of unbelief. Someone said this, this, this um, acronym of fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Okay, I'll say that again. Fear is false evidence appearing real. You see, when you and I believe the lies of the enemy, when we believe the lies of the devil, then you are empowering the liar. You are empowering, empowering the king, the author of lies. Gideon is a very unlikely candidate. He's paralyzed with fear. He's racked with doubt. His focus was on the conditions of the day, and he was scared. Let me ask you a question. What are you focusing on? Because what you focus on will become your reality. Gideon was focusing on the culture, the enemy, the problems of the day. And let's be honest, you and I often do the same. You and I often focus on the culture. We focus on the enemy. We focus on the problems, the mountains that we face. We need to have eyes of faith to see things differently. Our focus needs to be elsewhere. We need to be like Abraham, who it says in Romans 4, against all hope he believed. The 99-year-old man whose body was failing, who was told that he would be the father of the nations. Against all hope, he believed. His focus was on God's promises and God's reality, not on what he saw around him in the natural. Let me encourage you. Gideon was a man of fear and a man of great doubts. But a divine encounter at the winepress with an angel of the Lord meant that he became the one who would deliver God's people and free them from the Midianites. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Listen, don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself from an encounter with God. Don't disqualify yourself from being used by God. You say, I'm too fearful, Mark. I've got all these doubts. No, look at Gideon. An encounter with God and his life was transformed. And look what he did. Do not disqualify yourself. 
Okay, let's move on. Fourth thing about a divine encounter, the divine encounter that Gideon had. And this, I believe, is so important. A divine encounter gives us God's perspective on how he sees us. You see, most of us, even Christians, we disqualify ourselves from God wanting to meet with us. We disqualify ourselves from God using us. But God's perspective is different to us. Again, verse 12, what the angel says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. That is the complete opposite of what Gideon is thinking. That is the complete opposite in human terms of what Gideon is displaying. He doesn't think that God is with him. He thinks that he is alone. And he doesn't think that he is strong or mighty. He is fearful and full of doubts. Some of you will know in Rome, there is a beautiful sculpture that the um, sculptor Michelangelo made. It's one of the greatest works of art. It's a statue of David in Rome. And the story goes about this statue that Michelangelo looked at a worn-out slab of weather-beaten marble that no one wanted. And he saw the statue of David. He saw in that huge piece of weather-beaten marble a 17-foot statue that would today be one of the kind of artistic wonders of the world. Let me ask you a question. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look in the mirror, do you look and see a piece of marble? Do you see a slab of useless humanity? Do you, do you see something that, that is nothing special, that is worthless and that has no part to play in, in God's plans or purposes? Well, when God looks at you, he sees one who he loves and he sees one of huge potential. He sees one of whom he speaks promises and truth far beyond what we so often think. It's so important to understand this. I believe today in 2024, this time in our society, there is a massive identity crisis. And people do not know who they are. Genesis chapter 1 tells us right at the beginning of the Bible, that we are created in God's image, in the likeness of God, male and female. We are created. Now, interestingly, Satan immediately challenges that in Genesis 3 when he says, did God really say that? You see, the minute we, we hear about who we are in Christ, the minute we hear about you are a mighty man, a woman of valor, the minute we hear that, we have a little voice that says, did God really say that? Is that really true? Here's what I want to lay before you. This is why I believe this is so important. Most Christians live out of a broken picture of themselves long after they become a Christian. You see, long after you become a child of God, long after you become one of part of God's family and your identity has been changed by God, you still live out of a broken picture of that identity that you have in Christ. Listen, listen to what scripture says of you. 
This is what the Bible says. If you are here today and a Christian, if you are here today and love the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this is what the Bible says. The Bible says you are in Christ. Christ lives and dwells inside of you. The Bible says you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. The Bible says you are changed from one degree of glory into another. The challenge here is to know how God sees you. The challenge here is to look, is to look and say, God, this is how you see me. The Lord is with you, mighty man, mighty woman of God. Verse 14, go in this might and save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. It's interesting, that's, that's what kind of like God is doing. He's, he's kind of prophesying over, over Gideon. He's saying, look, this is what you are. Now go and live it out. Go and free the Israelites from the Midianites. You are a mighty man of valor. I love you. I am for you. Now go and live that out. And you see that in the Bible many times. You see this, you are, but you shall be moment. John 1 the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Jesus says of Simon Peter, he says, You are Simon, but you shall be called rock. This is who you are, but you shall be the rock on which I build the church. In, in Genesis, Jacob, God says of Jacob, Well, first of all, your name means twister, supplanter, heel grabber. But you shall be called Israel. You will unite God's people. Now, Gideon says, how can I do this? Mighty man of valor, go, go, and, go and free the Israelites from the Midianites. He says, how can I do this? And I want to point something out here. This is not humility that Gideon demonstrates. It's rather an inferiority complex. And I think sometimes that's the problem we have. We have a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to our identity in Christ and what God has called us to. Let me just show you in Galatians 6 in the New Testament, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, many of us get that. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. Yep. Yep, I get that. Don't be what you aren't. Don't be big in your boots. Don't be all proud. No, 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 don't do that. Fine. But what about verse 4 and 5 which follow? But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Oh, so I don't want to be too big in my boots, but you know what? I have a load to bear. There is something that God has called me to that I'm expected to do. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking what God says and thinks of you. That's an important distinction there. Okay? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking what God says and thinks of you. And this divine encounter changes Gideon because it changes his perspective. And it prepares him for the further exploits which are ahead. You can read about it in the next couple of chapters. And again, let me illustrate this from the life of Jesus. 
Because you think, well, hold on a minute. Does Jesus need to be reminded of God's perspective on him before he goes out and does his ministry? Yes. And if Jesus needs reminding, how much more do we need reminding? So before Jesus' ministry began, his public ministry began, there's the baptism of Jesus. And his cousin, John, baptizes him in the River Jordan. And we have this beautiful moment of the Trinity because the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. You see, what's happening there is words of identity are being affirmed and spoken over Jesus to affirm him as God's son, to affirm that he is loved and accepted. Remember, before he's done anything, He's not committed one miracle yet. He's not preached one sermon yet. But he's been set up for his ministry to come. That's why it's so important we have God's perspective so that we know how God sees us because then it sets us up for what God has called us to do. And there's another example later on, just before Jesus goes to the cross, John 13. Jesus takes the towel, you know, it, and he washes his disciples' feet. And it says in John 13, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the table. He laid aside his garments, he took a towel, and he got himself ready. Jesus could wash his disciples' feet. Why could he do that? That's mind-blowing. The Son of God washing the disciples' feet. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew where he come from, and he knew where he was going. Let, let me ask you a question. This is so important. Do you have that divine perspective on who you really are in Christ? Because if not, you need an encounter with God to change your perspective, to know that God delights in you, to know the truth of God's word, to know that God doesn't see a slab of marble. He sees a beautiful work of art. He sees a child of God. He sees a daughter of the king. He sees a son in whom he loves and whom he celebrates. Now, we haven't got time to fully unpack this story of Gideon. There's so much we could look into, but I just want to make one little aside here. It doesn't fit massively with the, with the whole message, but I just felt I wanted to make it because Gideon requests a sign. Okay? The angel appears to him, but he still wants a sign. You're like, come on, Gideon, an angel is right there next to you, and yet you still want a sign. But God is gracious to him, and he grants the sign. We read it. But if you go a little bit further into chapter 6, verse 36, there's what you would probably know when you think of Gideon and a sign, when he puts out a fleece, and he says, God, would you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? And God does that. And then he says, God, would you make the fleece dry and the ground dry? wet. So just as a little aside, I didn't want to kind of ignore this. I want to say this, you know, is it right to ask for or put out a fleece? It's a question that you might have thought of. You might have, should I put a fleece out? Should I ask the question, ask God to affirm what, what he said or to, to affirm God for kind of the, 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 kind of the, the decision I need to make? Well, I think from scripture, we can say this. Gideon, should have believed. He had the evidence. He had an encounter with the angel. He had the words that the angel had spoken. But let me tell you, God is gracious. 
God is compassionate. God knows our weaknesses. He knew that Gideon was fearful and doubtful. So he did what Gideon asked him. God is gracious and compassionate. And and Mark chapter 9 sums it up best for me. Mark chapter 9 is the story of a man coming to Jesus, and he asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says, you know, all is possible if you believe. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I believe when it comes to fleeces and signs and asking God to kind of affirm something, then God responds to faith. God responds to weak faith. He responds to faltering faith, but he responds to faith. Okay, so that's just a little aside. We could unpack that more, but I just wanted to mention that before we get to our final point. But this divine encounter was instrumental in changing Gideon's perspective. My prayer for you today is that your perspective of how you see yourself, your perspective of how God sees you, is transformed by an encounter with God. Final point. Divine encounters give us what we lack. Verse 23 God gave Gideon what he lacked. But the Lord said to him, verse 23, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Gideon was fearful. He was full of doubt. He was full of unbelief. He had an encounter with God, and God gave him what he lacked. When we encounter God, he gives us what we lack. Remember Moses last week, Moses and the burning bush. God reveals himself to Moses as the great I am. I am. That's who God reveals himself. But that that statement, the great I am, is it's almost an unfinished sentence. It's almost a sentence that you can kind of add on to what you need. So think of it like this, Abraham. Remember when he took Isaac with him up the mountain, as Vinu looked at actually a couple of weeks ago when he came to preach here. And and what did God do? God was the Jehovah Jireh. So for Abraham, what did he lack? What did he need? I am Jehovah Jireh. Gideon is fearful. What does he need? He needs I am Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. What is your need today? What do you need to accomplish God's calling in your life? Because if you have an encounter with God, there's an impartation that comes to be used, to be played out in the calling that God has on your life. Let me, let me break it down like this, okay? Many people, when it comes to divine encounters... They want the spiritual thrill, the spiritual high, the spiritual experience. Now, there's not anything necessarily anything wrong with that. It's great to have wonderful moments with God in worship, in prayer, either on our own or in large crowds at church on Sunday. It is wonderful to experience those moments with God. But the impartation, 
The encounter with God is always meant to be used. Acts 1 verse 8. Why was the Holy Spirit poured out? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why is the Holy Spirit poured out? Yes, it's for gifts. Yes, it's to to know that we have God's presence inside of us. Yes, it is to experience, to feel his presence and his touch. But the primary purpose is to go and preach the gospel. To preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, fear had conquered Gideon's life. God asked Gideon to act. He asked him to act. He asked him to put into practice the impartation that he had received. He asked him to face the fear, to conquer the fear. Now, isn't it wonderful that he he didn't ask Gideon, oh, in a couple of weeks' time, Gideon, I'd like you to face your your fear. I'd like you to take down those poles, those bow worshipping. I'd like a couple of weeks' time. Give you a little time to chill out, a little bit of time to enjoy me, a little bit of time to remember this, this, this moment with the angel, this little moment of impartation, a couple of weeks' time, put it in your diary, then you need to go and tear down the Asherah poles. No, same night. Same night. Go and tear down the idol in your dad's backyard. And, and let me tell you, God will give you the impartation. God will give you the peace. God will give you the power. But he will then ask you to walk that out. He will then ask you to live that out day by day. The only way that the fear in Gideon's life was conquered was through continued step-by-step obedience. The great warrior that we think of when it comes to Gideon, 300 men who defeated the whole armies of Midianites, that was lots of little steps of obedience, lots of little steps of conquering fear to that moment when Gideon and the 300 men defeated the Midianites. And the first step was, okay, you've met me. You've had an encounter with an angel of the Lord. You've had God's perspective spoken over your life. Right, now, go. Go and tear down that horrific thing in your dad's backyard. Go and and obliterate it. Go and tear it down. That's the first step of putting into practice what has happened in this moment. I mean, you could, there's loads, but it's what happened at night because he was afraid. But he did it. You know, he was fearful, but he did it. He did it at night. He did it with a few mates. I can't do it on my own. Guys, come with me. He got all his buddies, you know, rent a crowd. He got them. And, right, come on, let's go and do it. We'll take it down. He did it at night. He did it with a load of other people, but he still did it. Faltering, faltering, fearful, knees knocking, but he did it. Yeah, and, and that was the beginning That was the beginning of those steps of obedience, of overcoming that fear, of becoming that great warrior who was Gideon, who who set the Israelites free from the Midianites. I love it in verse 34, chapter 6. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. In, in the kind of Hebrew, it has this sense of it clothed him. Like this jacket, it clothed him. The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. So then he could fight the battles because he was clothed with the power of God. 
Listen, God can deliver you from fear. You have an encounter with him. God meets with you. Then he will say, right, you've had the encounter. Now go and take a step. Go and take another step. Go and live it out. Go and work it out. God gives us what we lack in that divine encounter, but it is for action. It is for being used. It is for God setting you free from things that ensnare you. It is for God making you all that he intends you to be. It is for God living out the calling that is on your life. So let me kind of bring everything together, bring all of this together that we've looked at in the life of Gideon. Gideon and his divine encounter at the wine press. Three things we said to begin with. Divine encounters can happen at any time, even the darkest of times. 2024, God can meet with you. Divine encounters happen in the ordinary, in the everyday. Let's be looking out for them. Let's be ready for them in our everyday, seemingly mundane lives. Let's look out for those moments with God. Let's look out for those special supernatural encounters as we go along life's way. And divine encounters happen to the most unlikely of people. Look at Gideon, the least in his tribe, fearful, doubtful, hiding away. Yet God met with him. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you have done. You are not disqualified from God meeting with you. No one is disqualified from God meeting with you. 